Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Davey, and today we have a great episode for you. It's always a great episode, isn't it, Aubrey? It is always. So, I mean, literally every time I'm like, this one's a, such a powerful one. This is the best one. And the next one, I'm like, no, this one's so incredible. They, every you, episode is powerful and meaningful, and I love what Nothing Is Wasted does. I every love, one of them. Today yes. is with Dale Kreinkamp, and he is an author, speaker, and CEO of thriving through transitions. Let me tell you why I love this, because we often say that we want to help you with your trauma, tragedies, and major life transitions. Look at that. And up to this point, we have been talking about some major life transitions, right? We've talked about divorce. We've talked about you know different kinds of things that would be like what you would deem as like, oh, this was a huge transition in my life. Yeah. We've I don't that I know of, we've not talked about unemployment. Not since I've been a part of Nothing As Way, so we haven't. So then you may never yeah. have. And, you know, I, I was saying before we went on air today, Davey, that because there's a lot of churches around the yeah. uh, nation right now having to downsize because of the changes in, you know, attendance from the pandemic and then a lot of other companies like people are experiencing unemployment. I don't, I don't have statistics, but I know that this is a real pain point for people right, right now. Right. It, it is very much a real pain point. And there has been so much of this is because of, you know, all, everything with COVID and all of the different shiftings mm-hmm. that are happening in different organizations and the restructurings and all that, you know, yeah. and, and then there, you know, there's, there's a lot of job opportunities out there, but there's like a lot of job openings, but they're, you know, still yeah. the unemployment rate is super yeah. high. So, it's just a really interesting thing as we're kind of watching this unfold um, with our with our nation. But what Dale talks about is he's going to talk about kind of the spiritual matters of that, right? Mm. And he definitely gets into the the practical you know issues of it, like okay, if you are un- unemployed, what are some things that you can do to interview better, and what are some things that because he worked in okay. HR for years and years and years cool. and years, so he's very well versed in that. He did so much of the hiring for big corporation that he worked for. He also wow. did some of the firing for this big corporation that he worked for. And then he was on the recipient's end of being oh. laid off during a massive restructuring. But what he does wow. now is he he runs a consultant firm that helps um, individuals and organizations successfully navigate difficult personal and professional transitions and mm. become better through the process, mm. which Love this that. is what Nothing Is Wasted is all about, right? No uh. matter what kind of season you find yourself in. This is why I said the other day, Aubrey, I spoke at a church and I said, I said, hey, we want to help people in their Friday and Saturday seasons, if you know what I mean, right? We yes. just celebrated Easter recently, right? <laughs> yep. Friday, Saturday seasons, yep. so that you can live out the rest of your life in a Sunday season, uh, right? this resurrection so power. Yeah. But it's really all about becoming who God wants us to become in those Friday and Saturday seasons. Mm. Oh, and, that's um, so good. Yep. And so this is what he does. And he's, he's written a book. It's actually a devotional called How Long, O Lord, How Long? Mm. Don't you love the title of that? I do. I love it because it's a lament. I love that. Yes. And it's devotions for the unemployed and for those who love them. So not only for those who wow. are unemployed, but it, if your family member or a friend has found themselves unemployed, yeah. to help you be empathetic there and, mm. and pray and intercede on their behalf mm. as well. 
So this is a really good conversation. Oh, that's so good. I'm even thinking like spouses, you know, of exactly uh, right. has been that, and we talk about I'm sure that. that's discouraging. Oh, cannot wait. Cannot wait. Yes, this is we, we get into that in the conversation. We're like, well, what do you do? And he's got some really good answers to this. I mean, Dale is brilliant. And I was so encouraged by my conversation with him. I didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you. I'll be yeah. honest. When, I, you know, when this was, uh, when we got approached with this about unemployment, I'm like, mm-hmm. This would be interesting. We've never talked about this before. Yeah. However, this is a very real pain point. So we should talk about this. Right. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was blown away by this conversation. Oh, I, I cannot wait. Well, let's so, go ahead and take a listen to Davey's conversation with Dale Cryenkamp. Well, Dale, it's so great to have you joining me on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to our conversation today. You know, I'm really looking forward to this too, because, you know, as I mentioned, you know, off air just a second ago, this is a nuance that we haven't talked about a whole lot. And um, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head as to why, because this is a very real pain point, job loss, unemployment. This is something that people are really battling with, especially nowadays. And, and, I, and I don't know why we haven't touched on this. So I appreciate you coming in and being a part of this conversation. Thanks. And, and uh, Davey, it's because one of the challenges is the unemployed don't like to talk about it. They don't like to tell people they're unemployed. They deal mm-hmm. with a lot of emotions, shame, embarrassment. And so talking about it is not easy for them. And that's why it just doesn't, doesn't raise to the issues of some other things that seem to be easier for people to talk about. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's very true. You know, there are certain things that we go through and it can be so tied up in our in who we believe that we are in our identity and i think that the american culture propagates this idea that you are what you do your your um your net worth really determines your self-worth right that's what often Mm -hmm. the american culture can we can get caught up and swept up in that and um and so i imagine that this is one of those topics that man people just they don't want to they don't even want to admit, okay, this is where I'm struggling and this is the season I'm in. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, you've written this devotional called How Long, Oh Lord, How Long? And I love the topic of this. We're going to dive into your story in a second, and then we'll talk about some of the things that God taught you through some seasons of job loss and unemployment. But I think what I really love about this is I love looking at some of these waiting seasons and not and not wasting the waiting season. And often with job loss and unemployment, you find yourself in this waiting season where you have some sense of feeling out of control, and yet God wants to do something to repurpose those seasons as well. And so we're going to dive into all of that based on what you've experienced and what you've learned. And so why don't you go back and just tell us a little bit about kind of the beginning of your journey and and why this became such an uh, such a, a deep passion and holy discontent for you. Well, Davey, I want to take you back to uh, February of two thousand and three. Um, at that point in time in my career, my background has been in human resources. So I was uh, an executive. I was the head of human resources for a large metropolitan hospital. We were actually the third largest in the St. Louis area at that particular point in time. We had a new chief operating officer who was on board, and uh, one of the things that he had talked to our leadership team about was a need to 
begin to reduce the number of employees that we had that he didn't believe we could sustain things with the the labor costs that we were. And ultimately, the organization had made a decision that we were going to um, start eliminating some jobs. And as a leadership team, we felt as difficult as it was, it really needed to start with the leaders, not the rank and file. And we had made a decision that we were going to eliminate 25 leadership positions uh, the following week. Mm. Now, some other things in context to where that was, this was really kind of my dream job. Um, I came out of college with that as a degree, um, worked my way up through the ranks to this position. So this was a pretty significant one for me. Um, I grew up in that hospital in terms of uh, that's where I really learned my profession and everything else. I had, I have three sons at that point in time, two of them were in college. One of them was in a private high school. We, we like to refer to those as the heavy cash flow years. And I had really three responsibilities for my job at that point in time. And one was, how do I prepare 25 leaders in our organization to have a tough conversation? So how do I prepare them to talk to somebody that they probably hired, they've developed on their team, and they're going to walk in the door the following Monday, and they're going to get the word that, you know, you've done nothing wrong, but you don't have a job. So that was number one. The second responsibility was, how do we prepare to support 25 people who walked in the door and got a message that is, no matter what they've done, they don't have a job? And the third was, how do we help an organization? And again, we had over 4,000 employees. We probably had about 1,000 on the medical and dental staff and then um, volunteers. So when you added it all up, it's a pretty large community. How do we help people understand, well, what does this mean? Because when they hear one thing, the first question is, well, what does this mean for me? How does this impact Mm -hmm. my life? And I was having a conversation with our chief operating officer, and I was reviewing the plans with him. So I was kind of walking through, here's how we're going to do all these things that are on my plate. And at the end of it, he really thanked me. He said, looks like it's really good. Got everything done uh, that we need done. And he got up, but he didn't leave. He stood behind his chair and he paused, which was really odd. And, you know, I I recognized it later. And he just looked at me and he said six little words that forever changed my life. He said, your name is on the list. Six little words ended 25 years in my career and made me unemployed for the first time in my life. And it was uh, it was a shock. Uh, not that I didn't think that I could ever lose a job. I mean, part of being in senior leadership, as you understand, that sometimes you can lose a job. Um, I think what surprised me was this COO was really big into the metrics, the measurement tools, and my division was Mm -hmm. in the top 10% of everything that we measured. Uh, So I became unemployed, and it's not that I didn't know how to look for a job, so I was blessed with... um, First of all, an outgoing personality that makes some things a little bit easier. I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Um, but I understand about resumes. I understand about job search. The yeah. part that really got to me as I was on the journey was the emotional side. Mm. Um, and so I went and looked for my book, and it, it didn't exist. 
Um, mm. And so in that period of time, as I was wrestling with, with what's next, I actually began to do a little bit of writing, trying to put some thoughts down on paper mm. that might be able to help somebody else. And about eh, probably about 11 months into the journey, I started my own consulting practice and that took off and life seemed good. And five years into that, one of my clients hired me. And 10 years later, I went and had breakfast with my boss who had the same story. That was, thanks mm. for all that you're doing, but we've decided to restructure and eliminate your job. And it was at that point in time that I said, I've got to give something back to all the people that go through this because I know there are a lot of people going through it. And that was the genesis for me to write the book and uh, try and help people understand the emotional side. So I always tell people, this isn't a book that helps you find a job. It's mm. a book that helps you navigate that period of time when you feel lost, out of control, wow. uh, dealing with emotions yep. that you never wanted to deal with or you even understand. Yeah. Man. You know, what, what kind of comes to mind as, I, as I'm hearing you say this is, you know, first of all, I think of it from the standpoint of a leader who has a team, who cares about his team. And, you know, I can't imagine what it was like to put all this work together. Already you're, you're dealing with the emotions of going, man, how do we help these folks who are going to find themselves jobless tomorrow? You, you, you care about them. And then in, in one fell swoop to realize, you know, and to hear your name's on this list. Thanks for all the preparation that you've done to help to take care of this stuff. And, and oh, by the way, now you're also going to be without a job. And, and so I, I imagine there are so many just complicated emotions there, you know, among other things, not really, probably not feeling cared for, you know, um, which, which I understand there's, there's that corporate side of things that, you know, the, all of this kind of nuance within the whole thing. But can you just kind of, you know, illuminate to us, what, what was it that you were experiencing? What were you feeling? Those emotions you said that were, you didn't know how to wrestle with those because they became so overwhelming. Now I'm sure you've been able to start putting some language to that, obviously, because you've written this book to help other people begin to put language to it. But can you can you illuminate that for us? What was that like? Yeah, so, so Dave, you're the first person that's really been astute enough to pick up on that one, that issue about my own team. That was a really hard mm -hmm. one for me. Um, I actually had the option to stay and go through this process with everybody and then leave at the end of the following week, or I could have walked out the door that day and I chose to stay for the next week. And so that was really mm. kind of a hard thing to, wow. to be walking through it and thinking about my team. So in many ways you feel like a failure. So you feel like a failure that, wait a second, right. I've lost a job. I've done something wrong here. Um, therefore I've failed. And then it's also, I've failed a team. I've got a group of people that I've cared for, mentored, yeah. and developed, and I'm not going to be there for what's coming next because there's more coming. Mm. You know, when this was just the mm. first step in a really change in an organization, and I wasn't going to be around to help them. So, first of all, it was yes, I'm a failure personally because I've lost a job. I'm a failure because as part of this process, I've let my team down. And I, I can't be there to care for them. Mm. And then the other one that 
that hit me and it really began to hit me as I physically left the place was recognizing how much of my identity was really tied up into what I what I did um, and who I was. And then all of a sudden I was out of job. So I wasn't that person. And that was really hard because yeah. that's who I was. I mean, again, this was a dream job for yeah. me. I had worked my way to that. Um, and we, we so often, Dave, think life is linear. You know, if I do the right things, the next good thing will happen. Mm. If I don't do wrong things, the things right. won't happen. And so when all of a sudden um, life throws right. you the curveball, you're sitting there saying, well, God, what happened here? And and for me in particular, it was yeah. loss of who I was. Mm. Dale, that is so true. You know, and, and I don't know if this is necessarily everybody's personality, but I know I resonate with that 100% and the idea that if I do the right things, if I just do the right things, then everything's going to work out for me, right? And so, so maybe there's a mixture of naivety or just, you know, even like trust, you know, and th- thinking that God's going to make sure that I'm taken care of if I do the right things, you know, that can, that can begin to creep into your mindset. And yet you're telling us of an experience where that wasn't, the, that wasn't the case, you know, <laughs> you're going, I did all the right things. And even, I mean, I'm admiring the nobility that you walked in by sticking around for that week, as difficult as that must have been, just to make sure due diligence was done and make sure all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. And and yet you you then find yourself in a season where it's like, I did all the right things, and yet here I am. This is what happened. Yeah, and that, that happens to a lot of people in this country. And uh, for me, the emotional side of not knowing who I was really impacted me when I went to introduce myself to people. So I was so used to saying, mm. hi, I'm Dale Crankamp. I'm the head of human resources for, because when you meet new people, they immediately say, well, what do you do? Um, and unfortunately, yeah. the first thing yeah. we don't do is we don't lead with what's most important. So if I led with what was most important, I'd say, hey, wow. I'm blessed. I've, I've been married to Deb for however many years it was at, at that particular point in time, which Back then it was 30 plus years. Today it's almost 45. Mm. And I would talk about my kids. And today I get to talk about my grandkids. But that's not usually how we lead. We usually lead with our vocation. Isn't that interesting? Wow. And (laughs) and so when that vocation is gone, it's like, well, how do I really say what I'm all about? That Mm. becomes really hard for people. And... uh, Mm. And then there's a belief that people don't really understand what you're going through. And and part of that is yeah. true because most people don't really get and understand job loss. And yet there are a lot of people that have been through it. And there are people mm. that do understand it and they, they really do get it. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, we... We talk about this sometimes on the podcast. We have this course that called the Pain to Purpose course where we talk about the, the idea of Sabbath rest and how that returns us back to um, our identity in Christ rather than, you know, our, our the, the Sabbath was established for the Israelite people because they were coming out of Egypt where they were, um, they mm-hmm. were slaves. They, their identity was in what they do, what they produce, right? And they were forced into this to perform and to produce. And so God wanted to kind of extract that identity from them. And so he wanders them around in the wilderness for 40 years 
teaching them how to be sons, going from slaves to sons, changing their identity of, of who they were collectively as a people, but also individually. And what's interesting is that was a waiting season, right? A season in between this old mentality and, and the new one in the promised land. And, and it seems like that's so much of how God orchestrates some of these refinement sanctification seasons for us is these waiting type seasons, mm-hmm. right? Like almost like a forced Sabbath in some ways is what you're, ex- what you're describing when it came to your unemployment. Absolutely. And, and I'm a type A personality, Davey. So it, it was really hard. Um, I was used to going constant. That's what I did. And looking to the future. Mm. So we had plans for the next year. We had plans for the next two or three years. Um, looking yeah. to the future, moving, um, not just things with my family outside of work, but work was a significant issue. Um, and, and we in America sometimes brag too much about the hours we work. So did I work a lot of hours? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I think sometimes we misstate what all those are, but it was a pretty significant commitment. All of a sudden it wasn't there. It's like, how do you fill that yeah. void? Cause I'm not used to sitting still. Um, and this was a time when mm-hmm. he wanted me to sit still. Um, and I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet. I don't like sitting still either. So, you know, someone, let's say someone's found themselves in that season right now. Right, they're in like the immediate aftermath. They've they've just they're tuning this in. They've just lost their job this past Friday. Right, it always seems like a Friday, doesn't it? And I'm sure you know all the reasons why, <laughs> being from an HR background. But Friday comes and they've just lost their job. They're now in the the immediate aftermath of this. Looking back on it, what can you tell us? You would do if you have that perspective in the immediate aftermath of a job loss. Um. I think I would say to them that relax, it's going to be okay. This is a huh. when process, not an if process. And when we lose our job, we immediately start spiraling a little bit mentally out of control. Um, you know, wondering, gosh, you know, will I lose my house? Will I ever find another job? Will I have to move? I mean, you you begin to try and fill your head with some type of um, answers to questions you don't have the answer to. And so I would say to anybody yeah. that's lost the job, um, it's going to be okay. It's when, and that's not to say you're not going to have mm. some ups and downs, but God's going to be with you and you're going to learn more. So the interesting thing is, Dave, I, I don't know that I've ever had anybody that I've met over a cup of coffee, a conversation about the book or whatever, who said, yeah, I lost my job and it was the worst thing for me. They don't say that Hmm. because when they get out of the barrel Hmm. and they find out what's next, they usually say, my gosh, I am enjoying this more than I ever thought I would in my life. I'm having more fun. I'm learning. I'm growing. Um, And as I look back, um, this was the best thing for me. That's what people end up telling me. Wow. Um, And it's consistent. It just over and over again. Wow. Um, but that doesn't mean it's easy when it's happened for those people. It's, it's really hard. Right. Um, and I think, right. uh, Dave, we don't understand how big unemployment is in the country. Um, mm. if I may just share a couple numbers to, to help put it yeah, in perspective. Please do. 
So every year in this country, so let's let's go pre-pandemic. So let's take a look at the decade from that ends in 2019. All right. Mm-hmm. In that 10-year period of time, every year, through a layoff, a job elimination, a discharge, on average, 21.7 million job losses every year for that decade. Wow. Now, let's, let's put 21.7 million into perspective. Um, in this country, every year, about mm, probably 2.7, 2.8 million people die which is like the size of the city mm-hmm. of Chicago. I think about 1.7 mm-hmm. million diagnosed with cancer. It's probably the size of everybody mm-hmm. that lives in Phoenix. Um, mm-hmm. Divorces, there's probably about eight or 900,000 divorces, which is maybe the size of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, new diagnosis mm-hmm. of Alzheimer's, 500,000. That's like Kansas City. So 21.7 million, I, I'm in Missouri. I have to take every man, woman, and child in Missouri, add the state of Illinois, and add the state of Kansas to get to 21.7. And that's happening every year. So the numbers are significant. So, but, so the reaction of someone who's lost a job, though, is there's nobody like me. You know, I, I'm all alone. Well, you're not alone. You got... 21.7 million people that are going through a similar thing yeah. with you. Um, but it's just really hard for people because they don't even like to talk about it, which is one of the challenges. Yep. Man, that's staggering, Dale. I had no idea that that many people in a given year will lose their job. Yeah, so we as an economy just shed jobs when the expense is too much, and then we say we're going to go hire them, which, you know, when you keep doing that, uh, people wonder why we see the great resignation today. People have yeah. just watched it and said, look, you, you really don't care that much about me. Um, yeah. And so it's the generation of kids today that have watched what happened to mom and dad that are reacting, saying, mm-hmm. hmm, I think there's something else for me, and I'd rather be the one in control. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as as you kind of survey the landscape of what's happening with, obviously, technology avails to us the ability to start businesses and, you know, kind of become more entrepreneurial, you know, there's, but it feels like there's a lot more people who are doing that route than ever before, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you didn't see this many people who were getting out starting online businesses and, you know, (laughs) doing those kinds of things. And, and so that's, that makes a lot of sense that that is the result of kind of a reactionary generation in a lot of ways. Yeah. If you watch mom or dad be faithful and work hard, and then all of a sudden somebody Mm -hmm. comes in and says, thanks for the memories, you're saying, I don't think I want that to happen to me. I want to control that. And one of the ways we at least feel like we're in control is we do our own business. Now, there's still a lot of things that are out of control, but (laughs) but, but at least you feel like... Uh, um, you're the one who's, you know, making the decisions. So, um, I read a, st- I read a statistic one time about the number of hours people worked corporately and entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs work more hours than people in the corporate oh, yeah. setting, but they have right. more fulfillment because they at least feel like yeah. it's going towards something that they have some investment in. Yeah. 
yeah, there's a sense of agency, mm-hmm. right? There's a sense of I can control my future. I can, I have say into my destiny when you're doing that. You know, it's, it's one of, I mean, this is a little bit off topic. It was one of the things that draws me to it. I've always been entrepreneurial. My wife jokes around. She said, have you ever had a W2 job? I said, yeah, when I started the church that we started, <laughs> <laughs> it was my t- only W2 job uh-huh. that I ever had. But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things where in trauma, that's the first thing that we end up losing is our sense of agency. We have this spiraling of going, whoa, I'm out of control. And then there's a, then there's a, there's a battle to try to figure out how much control do I have and how much do I, do I really not have? And I think that that's a spiritual battle, right? Because I think that's where the interplay of faith and trust as well as obedience begins to intersect, you know? Can, can you talk about that a little bit? You know, to what degree in a season of waiting like this, are we supposed to kind of just go, well, you know what, Lord, I, I, I trust I trust your plan and I'm going to walk in this. When does that mindset begin to creep into apathy? And then when does the whole like other side of the spectrum where it's like, well, I'm going to, I got to make something happen. I got to, you know, I'm and where does that begin to fail to steward or recognize the season that God has brought you into? (laughs) You know, there's that, there's a tension between the two. uh, Can you dialogue about that with me? Davey, there's a huge conflict that goes on. Um, so when you're unemployed, um, you all of a sudden realize you have something you've never had before, which is time. Hmm. And Immediately, everybody says, well, you have to work as many hours to find a job as you were working in whatever you were doing as a vocation. Doesn't matter whether you were a carpenter or an executive, you just you go do that to try and find a job. Yeah. The reality is there's only so many hours a day you can really focus on job search. So you do have extra time. And so you begin to say, well, can I enjoy some things that I've never had time to enjoy? Hmm. And then when you're doing them, you feel like, well, gosh, I'm probably missing the one job that got posted mm. while I'm doing whatever it was. <laughs> so there's a constant conflict about time for people. Yeah. And I think it's just really hard for us to let go and let God drive. Um, mm. I like it more when he's in the passenger seat um, or in the back seat um, and I'm driving than the other way around because, yeah. you know, we like to, we like to be in control right. over it. And we, so we do have to get to a place where we let go and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, mm. but my faith that you're going to do something for me still requires action on my part. Mm. I tell people all the time, you, you don't just sit on the couch and say, well, I have faith God's going to send me a job, um, and I'm just going to sit here and veg out and binge watch TV um, and eat every snack that I can. Um, I still have a responsibility but here's the, the part that becomes hard for us. We're used to controlling results. Mm. In this search process, you only control your efforts. Wow. You have absolutely no ability to make somebody have a job, number one. Wow. Um, you can't make them interview you. You can't make them hire you. You have your efforts that certainly influence that but you don't control it. Mm. And it really is one of the important mindset shifts that we need to get to, which is um, I can only control my efforts 
and mm. I just need to focus on my efforts. But in doing that, you know, faith is a muscle. The more we yeah. exercise that, the better it's going to be. And yeah. so I often talk to people about making certain that their faith and trust isn't from the couch, but it's mm. actively doing. But we have to not think that we still will earn it. Yeah. Um, that's still yeah. going to be God's decision as to when is the right time to make that opportunity free. That's so good. Hey friends, let me just take a moment and ask you this. If Nothing Is Wasted has been a part of your healing journey from pain to purpose in any way, shape, or form, I wonder if you'd partner with us in this. We would love for you to take this opportunity to share about the incredible work and resources we have for those in pain with your local church pastor. That's right. I'm asking you to share something with your pastor. We've all seen the impact the past few years have had on us as individuals and our communities collectively, especially our spiritual communities. So often what is keeping those inside the church from the mission God has set in front of them is the personal pain that they're wrestling through. And we know the church is God's plan for bringing healing and restoration to a broken world, but it must first be experienced within the church itself. That's why on Thursday, May 12th, I'll be hosting an invitation-only Zoom call for pastors to help research and work alongside those in any kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. This interactive call will give pastors the opportunity to hear from other pastors how the Pain to Purpose course has positively impacted their churches, discover resources and tools that will lighten the load of their church staff, and help the people within your congregation heal so you can move forward together on mission for the kingdom and effect massive change in your community. Space is limited on this Zoom call, so if you have personally benefited from the Pain to Purpose course or the Nothing is Wasted community or the Nothing is Wasted podcast, we would love for you to help us spread the word. Invite your pastor and send them the link to sign up so they can learn more and register. You can find that link at www.nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. We know God wants to partner with us in our pain and turn it into an even greater purpose than we could have ever imagined. And you can be the catalyst for that healing journey in your local church by simply connecting your pastor with what we're doing here at Nothing Is Wasted. Reach out to your pastor and let them know that we are ready to help them move their community from pain to purpose. We've created a digital invite page that you can text or email to your pastor. Simply go to nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com forward slash pastors. We invite you to share with your pastor how Nothing Is Wasted has impacted you. Then encourage them to learn more by sharing that invitation link with them. We're looking forward to a powerful discussion with pastors across the country and maybe even the world on Thursday, May 12th. Again, find more information at nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. You know what I've found in my own life is that seasons of waiting where I desire right. something, right? But, but, but I'm not there. And so I'm, I'm meeting, I'm being met with this perpetual disappointment because I'm like, oh, I want this thing in the future. I want this thing to happen now. But, but my, ex, my experience is falling short of those expectations or those desires. 
often God is really showing me certain things about me that need to be chiseled and refined. It's like now I finally have the space to go, oh, there's some things I need to change about me. And those things, I imagine in a situation like this with job loss and trying to find a job, that those things that God is revealing to you that need to change might be the very things that are inhibiting you from getting that job that you're that he wants you to have right even just down to like people skills or emotional quotients or things that like you know i'm sure in your experience in hr and in your experience of working with people who have found themselves in a job loss situation you've probably encountered people who you look at and you're like they're a little bit disillusioned <laughs> and this season is helping to show them what what it's like to be on the other side of them right can can you so if someone is in that seat, how do we get introspective in those seasons and go and get honest with ourselves about maybe the things about ourselves that are inhibiting us from being able to step into that that next season? Wow, um, great question. Um, I want to be careful though, because one of the things that happens for people in job search is they're trying to pin down to what was it that caused them not to get the job. So therefore, mm. when they interview and they That's don't good. get it, yeah. they want to call up the person and say, tell me what it was, because hmm. if I know what it was, maybe I can debate you into seeing you're wrong and you'll rehire, rehire me. Um, yeah. And that's why they never really get good feedback. Um, so it's not one that mm. we usually get an answer to. Um, I usually try and help people understand that the right job may not be ready for you right now. Maybe something's going on, and we sometimes get so focused on a job that we forget that God just doesn't want a job. I think he wants a job for us that we can flourish in, that we can be successful in. And maybe we're not ready, or maybe that job isn't open. And yet we're trying to Mm -hmm. do God's work by saying, well, this is the perfect job for me. And it may not be. you know, I've watched people take jobs that because they were in a rush, and nine months later, they're out of work again. And other wow. people looked and said, yeah, I knew that wasn't going to be a good fit for you. But they were so uncomfortable with not having a job that they would, mm. they would take almost anything. I had, I had a gentleman, uh, Keith, I was having a cup of coffee with him, and he'd lost his job like 10 days prior and uh, we were sitting down in a Starbucks having this conversation, and he said, he said, Dale, I can't do this. And I said, Keith, what do you mean? And he said, well, I can't, I can't take this. There's no responses to anything. It used to be when I sent an email, I got an answer. When I picked up the phone and called somebody, I got an answer. And, you know, I call people about things. I send emails. I apply for jobs, and I, I don't hear anything. And he said, I've got a job opportunity. It's not what I want, but I think I'm going to take it because I can't. So he couldn't handle the unknown. And he was ready to go kind of like the children of Israel. He was ready to go back to Egypt because it was more certain than it was to wait and see what God could open up for him. And I just tried to say to him, I said, Keith, you know, you're 10 days into this. (laughs) Brother, that radio silence is (laughs) not unique to you. It happens to all of us. Um, And actually, it's been one of the things in my profession as as a human resource executive that I would always talk to my staff about is we owe people 
answers on a timely basis. And even if we don't have the answer, mm -hmm. if we said we're going to give you an answer by Friday and we don't have an answer on Friday, at least call them on Friday and say, look, there, there's a holdup on the decision um, and I don't have an answer for you. Giving people some communication is better than nothing. And uh, that's mm -hmm. hard for people in this process. So they, we, we have to, the, the waiting, way it's not easy. It's hard. Um, yeah. In fact, when you, when you are interviewing for a job, you spend what I'll call emotional capital. So let's say you go from mm -hmm. the screening interview to the first interview to the second interview. You start picturing yourself in that place. Um, and that's dangerous in a job search because you, you kind of stop looking. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. a month later, you find out they took somebody internally. They hired another candidate. Um, it's not only, it's like a double whammy. It's like you lost a job again because you could see yourself there. Yeah. Wow. Man, what a wrestling. What yeah, a wrestling. It, you know? It's, um, Davey, it's grief for a lot of people also. That's, so if yes. you uh, think about it, um, employee engagement is really defined as that emotional attachment to an organization that makes you give more than your employers even paying you for. Mm. And employers love that. Mm. But when all of a sudden then you say to somebody, thanks for the memories, you don't have a job, there's, wow. there's a feeling of rejection. Um, yep. And people aren't certain what to do with that. And often it turns to anger. Um, there's mm -hmm. anger at maybe the person who said to you, you don't have a job. There's anger at the head of the organization, uh, but, but they're really angry. And that's one of the real powerful emotions that actually pe keep people from moving forward. Because if you're still angry, you're living in the yeah. past. And somewhere you have to let right. go and just accept that no matter what, it happened to you. Now you got to move forward, but dumping that anger is really hard. And uh, I always say to, to people when, when they're dealing with anger, and you can kind of see it on their face. I mean, I've told people, I, I can't recommend you till you deal with your anger issue. Um, you know, for some people, it's going to be just wow. close the door in the house and shout it out. You know, God's got big ears and big shoulders. Um, but I always tell people when you're shouting and you're crying out in anger, don't edit your words. I mean, let it be real what's mm. happening in you so that it can come out of you and you can give it over. Or uh, journaling is one yeah. of the best things for people. Take a journal and um, write for a couple of weeks just the thoughts that are going on in your heart and mind. Um, I still have the journal somebody gave to me when I lost my first job. Um, in fact, mm. I use that to write some of the devotions because those raw emotions are in that wow. journal. Um, or talk to a counselor, talk to your pastor, talk to a Christian counselor. But you need somebody that's going to help. You need somebody to listen. And that's either God, the piece of paper, or a counselor to get the anger out. And when yeah. you get the anger out, then you can start moving forward. And that becomes really important for people. That's great. Dale, I'm so glad you mentioned that because we're often talking to people about loss and grief. 
And it's and it's I think as we explain to people, hey, you're gonna have to really lean into these difficult emotions. You're gonna have to start externalizing these emotions to a you know safe community or a good counselor or write it down or journal like this like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy exercises they're gonna have to happen. People, it's very palatable for people <clears throat> when they think about it in terms of loss of a loved one, loss of a family member, loss of a friend. They, they can kind of recognize, yeah, well, of course, this is loss. And so I really am going to have to sort through this grief, you know. But it's it's a lot more difficult for someone to palette the idea that, wait, job loss, uh-huh. this is grief too. And that I need to work through some of the same exercises as I would if I had lost a spouse or lost a sibling or lost a parent. Yeah, it is. Um, because to your point... You, you, a feeling buried never dies. It's going to ooze out yeah, it, of you, right? Well, it, I, I always tell people it becomes the iceberg. You know, the iceberg, the damage is really underneath mm. the water, and it's going to come up, and it's going to bite you at some point in time when you least expect it if you don't deal with it. So you, you have to get it out. Wow. But we don't like to even admit that we have those. Emotions are something that we aren't comfortable talking about, um, and yet they are... Yeah. They're really powerful. I mean, there's a stat that uh, Mm. says that over 80% of every decision you make in a day is emotional. So there's an emotion attached to all the Mm. decisions we make, and yet we like to think we're logical. And so we just say, oh, well, I'm skilled and talented. I'll be just fine. there'll, There'll be another job. Well, that works for a while till all of a sudden you don't have another job. And three months into it, you start saying, hey, what's what's going on? Uh, why don't I have that? And mm. and Davy Satan really plays on people in this process. You know, Satan Satan has mm. some some lies that he tells us. You know, he wants to put into your ear you're a failure. He wants to put into your ear you're helpless in this process, um, and he wants to put in your ear you're unwanted. And those are lies that you can't listen to, but they're really easy to listen to when you're going through this process. You know, as I, as I said at the very beginning, yeah. the immediate reaction is I failed because I lost a job. You know, it's, it's an interesting mm-hmm. thing the the COO actually told me, he said, Dale, I need to save money and you make more money than your, you know, the next person on your team. And you've developed a really good team and your number mm-hmm. two is really good. So I, I think I can be just fine without you. Um, you know, wow. so Ugh. that type of thing, you know, Man. will certainly happen, but it's easy to immediately feel like you're a failure. And then the helplessness Absolutely. comes, right. uh, put yourself in the shoes. You've probably got a listener out there who's lost a job and they haven't looked for a job in 20 years. And all of a sudden the world of a job mm. search has changed. It's gone electronic. You know, when they looked for a job, you filled out a piece of paper and you walked in and you talked to somebody at a reception desk and maybe you got an interview and you had a chance to tell them all about it. Well, today it's electronic. So there's an algorithm and that algorithm is determining whether Mm. your resume gets to the stack that the recruiter looks at and they feel so helpless because this world has changed on them and they're not quite certain what or how they're going to deal with something like that. Um, how do I, I just don't feel like I have the tools to do the, the search. And the unwanted part comes because they don't get accepted for the job. You know, I've had people that 
said, you know, I'll have interview one, I'll have interview two, but I don't get the job. And at some point in time, no matter how skilled and gifted you are, you start to say, what's wrong with me? Um, right. And right. So we have to we have to fight Satan in yeah. addition to uh, job loss. That's he's he's in the process, man. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, obstacles and enemies in this whole process, you know. And and some of that is you know the, how Satan plays on mm-hmm. on the inner me, right? I've heard it said that your inner me is your greatest enemy because you begin to have all of this self talk, and and really the enemy's going to play on some of that self talk, and it's going to really. It's going to creep into the most vulnerable aspects of who you are, the things you don't like about yourself the most, your cracks and stuff. And yet that's the very thing that God wants us to peer into during these seasons mm-hmm. so that we can sure up those cracks, so that we can become right. more like the image of Christ, right? Let, let's talk about this, Dale. Um, let's talk about some of the other seats at the table. You know, when you're experiencing this, there's other people that are also affected by this, your family, your spouse. What what would you say to a spouse who's listening to this? And they're going, yeah, my husband or yeah, my wife is spiraling right now because they've just, you know, they've just received this news and I don't know what to do. How do I be there to support? How do I help? How do I encourage? How do I kick them in the tail if they need? Like, what do I, what am I, how am I supposed to respond? Yeah. That, well, so first of all, let's let's talk about those and and make sure that everybody understands that if you're the spouse of somebody who's lost a job, this job loss process is going to have some of the same impact and the same emotions on you as it does on the person who lost the job. In mm-hmm. some ways, I think it was harder on my wife because she wasn't actively engaged every day in trying to do something. Mm-hmm. She's she's in the other seat. So if you have fear and worry and anxiety about you know, the bills being paid or, gosh, are we going to lose the house? Are we going to have to move? Those sort of things. Yeah. Those emotions are really being impacted on the spouse and the kids too. Um, mm. And we often don't talk openly to our kids. And it kind of depends upon the ages. But, you know, there's an old expression, those little ears have big fears. Yeah. So I had a friend that went through a job loss and uh, wow. when when she had the new job, um, right before she landed it, she was having a conversation with her son and he said, mom, are we going to lose the house? Mm. And she said, we were so far from anything like that, but he knew that mom was out of work. He obviously had friends somewhere that had experienced it and he was at a young enough age. He just took it further. So I think we owe it to family to have a conversation about it. And, and I kind of tell people it's important to talk about the expectations for what this job search means and yeah. what what the person looking for the job will be doing. Um, I had a, I have two quick stories. One friend yeah. that I met for a cup of coffee, and this was this was back in the early two thousands when you actually wore a suit and tie to work. And we don't. I don't know. We don't do that anymore. Um, Wait, you mean uh, you don't wear a flat bill and a sweatshirt to work? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Dale? Yep. Um, and so I met him at a at a coffee shop, and he was in a suit. So we had our conversation yep. about the job search and everything else. And I said, "Eh, I see you're dressed up. Where, where are you going? You got a couple of appointments today. You got an interview." And he said, "No." He says, "My wife doesn't think I'm." really working on a job search unless I dress up and leave the house like I used to when I worked. So I just come down Mm -hmm. here and have my breakfast and kind of do my stuff from here. 
Um, one of the other things that's important for people to do in a job search is to network. So you want to meet as many mm. people as you can to learn where job openings are, to gain some advocates. And uh, one guy had faithfully been doing that um, for a, mm. a period of time. And his wife one day said to him, when are you going to start looking for a job? All you do is have coffee with people. Now, the reality is he really he said, I realized at that <laughs> point in time I'd really – never talked to her about what this job search looks like for someone yeah, in my position right. um, and how I have to go about doing that. Now, he ultimately landed his job by having those cups of coffee right, that connected right. him to the right person that the job opened. And so I think expectations yeah. are important um, mm. that we talk about what does this search mean? What am I trying to do? Um, and here's how you can help. Um, yeah. My wow. my wife was my best advocate. I was so blessed. Oh, gosh, Davey, unbelievably blessed. But what mattered the most to me was when she praised my efforts. Mm. So if you have a spouse who's out of work, when you praise their efforts, because that's all they control, um, my wife would say, you get up every day and you go have those cups of coffee. And a lot of them don't produce anything, but you faithfully get up and do that. And I'm so proud of you. And wow. Man, when your wife tells you that she's proud of you, what, what better thing could you hear from somebody? So for a spouse, right. it's to support, but expectations become real important because then, then kind of we know what's going on and yeah. we're talking about it. So That's really good. You brought up this networking thing. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, it's so important because... Um, nowadays, you said, right, this, the, the whole landscape of job search has changed. Really, uh, you know, people are looking for people with a high EQ, not necessarily a high IQ. They're looking for people who can work with people. Those are the ones that become the most valuable in a, in a, in a position. And, and so networking is, is yeah, it's uh, extremely important. But how do we do that without it seeming like a self-serving networking? Because... I've certainly met people, Dale, who they just, it's like they ooze this, this like weird, almost like shady kind of networking type vibe, you know? And it's like, you're really only seeking something for yourself. And yet at the same time, that's what you're doing. You're trying to find a job, right? But what does networking look from a kingdom perspective? You know, how do we do that in terms of like adding value to people? Um, I look at networking as relationship building. And if mm. you focus on building the relationship, everything else kind of comes after that. Uh, people are hesitant to do it because they say, well, they know I'm looking for a job. So they're, mm. you know, it's why am I going to go see them? They don't have a job and all that. And I always just say, you're trying to build a relationship with more people. And so the focus should yeah. be getting to know them getting to know about their job. Yes, you'll have a chance to share about what you do, but it's that building the relationship that becomes really important. When people like you mm -hmm. and you can build a relationship with them, you'd be amazed the number of people that will step up to the plate for you when they don't even know you. Um, wow. And it's, But it yeah. comes from a relationship, and I think the mistake people make in networking is it's one and done. So you and I have a cup of coffee, mm. and then I never hear from you again. And I always tell people, you should update your network what's going on at least every four to six weeks. Mm. 
So I would send hmm. out an update to everybody in my network and just say, here's what's going on in the search. And it and it's really important hmm. because those people can still be your advocates. But if I've not heard from hmm. you in two months and I hear about a job, how hard am I going to work to go chase you down when you're not doing me the respect of keeping me informed of what's going on? Yeah. So keep yeah. people involved, um, which might mean another cup of coffee. Just build a build a relationship and making that happen. In fact, in the the back of my book, I actually have some appendices, and one is an example of my updates that I sent because people are often mm. not certain what to do, and so I put some ideas in the back of the book. That's great. So practical, man. That's so good. Is what you find in these seasons is God wants to do something really um, ethereal in you, right? Something very spiritual in you. But there's also some practical steps that we take in in all of these seasons, um, and I think that's where we find that the the convergence of that faith and you know and and obedience, you know, where those things come to a head. Yeah, and, and for networking, David, just the thing that I'll say to people is start with some people you know. Um, mm. It, it's mm-hmm. a whole lot easier to have a cup of coffee and get reconnected with somebody you know and then let yeah. them help you with the introductions to some people you don't know but get comfortable in the process, especially if you haven't done it. And it, it's going to be harder for some people. I'm an extrovert. Going to have cups of coffee was easy for me. For my wife, who's <laughs> the introvert, it would be really hard. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay, you know, I've got two more questions. They're burning questions. Right. So if you have the time for this, yeah. Dale, I um, I want to talk about another seat at the table that I think you can provide some insight for, and that's the seat of the the supervisor, the boss, the leader, the manager who is faced with this difficult situation of laying off staff and assuming that they really do care for their team. That in and of itself is a pain. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a tough thing to sort through those emotions. So I guess my question is twofold: <clears throat> How do you sort through if I if you're sitting in that seat on that side of the table? How do you sort through those emotions? Um, and how do you do it in a way that you know to borrow a, a a term that is certainly not used in corporate world oftentimes? But how do you do it in a way that shepherds people? Right, that really cares about people. Wow. Um... Yeah, it is It is really hard um, to say goodbye to someone. And there are a variety of reasons why we end up saying goodbye to someone. Hmm. Sometimes it's because they really aren't a good match for the job. Yeah. And sometimes as a leader, maybe we've let that go on longer than it should. And ultimately, we need to deliver the message that says this isn't a good match for you. Hmm. I think... Honesty and candor is important um, in terms of helping them understand that it's not necessarily the right match and where the struggles are. Uh, yeah. Now, people, the hard part, Davey, is that that first conversation you have can't go on for an hour and a half because it's going to be a debate. They're going to want to say all the mm. reasons why they were a good match or this, that, or the other thing. Um, but you want to deliver the message and then you want to also be willing to say, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help mm-hmm. you with what's next. So I, you know, you might be able to refer them somewhere to somewhere that there's a better match. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, um, to be happy to speak on their behalf for someone else. 
Yeah. It's, it's not easy. Um, and yet that's part of the job and leadership that we sometimes have to do. And if you do it in a caring way, mm-hmm. they're not going to necessarily say thank you, but, but they'll get it. And the people around it will get it. See, that's the other thing. When we say goodbye to people, everybody else is watching. They're watching how we treat the person, yeah. um, how we handle the situation, because they're worried, gosh, if something ever happens to me, how are you going to treat me? And so how we do it and how wow. we talk about it, I think, becomes really important because there's a message to everybody that's watching. Wow. That's so good. So good. Okay. So, you know, obviously people are going to have to pick up this book, you know, how, how long, Oh Lord, how long this devotional that you've written? Um, because it's really, that's, what's really going to help them dissect their emotions, untangle some of these, you know, these things in terms of, you know, the identity that we have placed so much in our, in our, you know, in our, in our net worth, in our, uh, our job, our occupation, our calling, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, and and untangle that and, and place our identity in in who who we are in Christ. This devotional is going to do such a great job of helping you walk through that journey. But I wonder if to kind of close off this conversation, Dale, you can give us maybe just a just a summary, just like a if you were to say, man, in that season, in that waiting season for me, the primary thing that God was doing in me was this. And, and, and this is why it was so beneficial for me in that season. Cause I think sometimes we don't see the benefit, the, the, the redemptive nature of those waiting seasons, but you have a unique perspective in that you're looking back, right? Psalm 23 says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Well, following you means you, you got to look back and see that something's following you. And so you can attest to that, man, goodness and mercy through that season was following me. What was that goodness and mercy? What was God doing in you during that season? Boy, Davey, he, he did so many things for me. And, and I think one of the things that I learned was to slow down because I was that mm. type A driven personality. And I am so prone to functioning toward success in things. So it slowed me down. Mm reminded me of some of the things that were really more important in life. The other was to mm. learn to trust in him because I learned in this process, I, I just can't, I can't make it happen. Um, and so I kind of yeah. need to follow his, his lead um, in the whole thing. And yeah. um, I, I love that you just used Psalm 23 because one of my favorite verses is, um, early in the chapter and it says he restores my soul. And, and when, mm. when I got through the Valley, that's what I felt like is he restored my soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's not that bad things won't ever happen again. Cause again, I went through it again. Um, and there are going to be a lot mm. of people that are going to lose multiple jobs um, in their career because that's just what happens in this country uh, that that happens. So I went right. through the season again and I took the learnings from the first and applied them to the second, but I had other challenges in the second one. Um, you know, yeah. uh, what I would say one other thing that we struggle with Davey is trying to find our relevance when you're in the job search, mm. you know, I knew how I was relevant at work, but I didn't necessarily know yeah. how I was relevant in life. 
and uh, it's it's a chance to mm. learn about being relevant and still being a good husband, a good father, a good friend. Um, that doesn't show up on a paycheck, but boy, it's so yeah. much more important in life. And uh, it's a struggle that I had. Where's my relevance? Um, I'm better at it today, but a lot of this stuff is just a continuing journey. It's not a destination. Mm. Man, so challenging. You know, I'm I'm the same way. Driven, type A, success oriented, goal oriented, and and yet every night I'm I'm doing the most important thing that I can be doing. And oftentimes my my mind is preoccupied by the other things. You know, I'm not I'm not fully present with my family. But every night when I tuck my kids into bed. When I have conversation with them, when we sit at the dinner table, when we do the dishes together, that's the most important moments of my life. And, and I appreciate you reminding me of that, Dale, and reminding all of us of that. Um, this, really, this really galvanizes the, the priorities that we should have in our life uh, in, in all these seasons. So thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for for your insight into this. Yeah, this uh Davey, I just appreciate your being willing to have the conversation about it because, as I said, the unemployed don't talk about it. They they keep it to themselves yeah. because of kind of the shame and embarrassment that they're feeling. And so for them, um, they're wondering, you know, who's really going to be there to connect and help them? And too often people mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. you know, if you need any help in this job search, let me know. Well, they need some. They need people that are going to connect to them and stay connected through the journey, because somewhere along the line they need to yeah. to let people know what's really going on. Um, they get really good at yeah. putting on that false facade that says, "Gee, I'm fine," mm-hmm. and that happens in all sorts of grief. Um, yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Um, so I always say, ask them multiple yeah. times. No, I said, "How are you really doing?" I, I'm fine. How are you really doing? And that kind of signals to them, okay, <laughs> you're really ready to hear the good, bad, and the other of what's going on. And, and yeah. so friends can be so important, and people will be disappointed by people they expect to step up to the plate that don't. Yeah. And they will be amazed at people that come out of the woodwork to lend a hand that they never anticipated would be there for them. Um, mm-hmm. It is unbelievable. Yeah, how God will use other people in your life and the friendships you'll develop and the relationships that come through the process. Um, never easy when you're going through it, but but unbelievable right. how it will happen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, Dale, how can we follow what you're doing? Um, how can we tune in more to, to your work in your life? So one of the things that I would ask, uh, and it's, it's not for me, it's for the people that are out there. One of the things, as I mentioned, People who are in the job search, they don't admit that they need help. So the interesting piece is I sell more books to people that are employed than people who are unemployed. So the unemployed person Mm -hmm. doesn't reach out. But people who are unemployed need something. And my book is a really gift to them to help them. And I need more people that are going to buy four or five copies of that book and have it in their desk drawer. And so when they hear of somebody that's unemployed, they're going to go have a cup of coffee with them and pass that book across mm. the plate. Um, I need pastors to have them in their desk drawer um, so that they are ready mm. to do something more than just pray uh, people because they're not going to ask for it. 
Yeah. But what I keep hearing from the people yeah. that have read it is you've you validated everything that I was experiencing, but I couldn't put words around. And the more important part is yeah. you've re reminded me of where Jesus is in this process. Uh, and for some people, mm. they'd forgotten that he's really there. And for some people, they didn't even know him. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity to open a door to someone and let them know how Jesus can be with you, not just through this crisis in your life, because you'll consider it a crisis, but how you can go beyond that mm -hmm. and um, let him be part of your life all the time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, we'll make sure that we put the resources in these show notes for those of you guys who are listening to this, if you're watching this on YouTube. How long, O oh Lord, how long, devotions for the unemployed and those who love them. Um, so this is a great resource for everybody. Dale, thanks so much for spending time with us, for diving into this topic, this rich, rich conversation. We appreciate you taking the time. Thanks again for being willing to tackle the conversation. If I can ever help, let's talk again. Well, Aubrey, I told you. You told me, told and you. and you know, you, you know, Dale, you're incredible. You wouldn't yeah. think a guy who's been in HR forever is going to be the guy I who's know. like such a powerful communicator and so much wisdom. But that was such so worth everyone's time, so valuable. Oh, absolutely, um, and yeah, I mean, love it. the fact that he's worked with people so much and he's mm -hmm. had to like be in the middle, kind of that mediator in between some mm -hmm. really difficult situations. So he's probably seen it all. He's seen yeah. every, you know, kind of you know, corporate like layoff type. And then the responses from that and how it's affected people's lives and how it's, you know, and he sits there in the middle of it as an HR guy right. going like, right. I don't have a whole lot of control over this, but I have to yeah. be the one to kind of like, I just, I mean, I'm sure it gave him just a huge level, level of empathy. And then not only that, like experiencing it himself. That's what I was just thinking. Like he's been on every side of the equation. And so yeah. to be able to have the, both the pain of the experience uh, on the side of like, you've just been let go, but then also having the know-how on the other side of the yeah. HR, like yeah. he's, he's definitely uniquely fit by God for this role, right. this ministry. I'm so right. glad that he's just stepped into it really. Oh, I know. And here's what I love. Like I had, as I was talking to him, I had this kind of almost like a, a prompting or intuition that, um, that, that one of the reasons God might lead us into a situation like this or a season like this is to, to force us to rest. Hmm. And, and here's, here's why I say this, wow. Aubrey, there's been so much, and part of it probably is because you and I talked about this before we got on air to, is that I have been and our organization has been, we've just been in this like dead sprint. Right. Yeah. And I've yeah. acknowledged it at our team meetings. I'm like, guys, we're sprinting until <laughs> this particular date, you know, it's yeah. because, we're trying to get things ready and prepared for before I take leave after Amanda's jury trial, which is mm -hmm. set for June. So it's like we're sprinting. And yet the yeah. Lord keeps bringing these things in front of me about the importance of Sabbath rest. Hmm. And as I was having the conversation with Dale, it popped into my mind, Psalm 23, where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Yeah. And we accompany that with this this real serene, peaceful notion of the good shepherd who's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's just so, it's it's so idyllic and it's so right. serene. Here's a beautiful it's green beautiful pasture green for pastures you that he's leading me in. into. Yes. But look what it says. It says he makes me lie down. Wow. Which means that I wasn't otherwise inclined <laughs> to lie down. <laughs> 
Davy. That's so insightful. <laughs> Which means that maybe I was willing to frolic through the green pastures, like <laughs> right, sprint right. through it and go on to you know right. greener I'm pastures. Do a lot in those green pastures. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. I'm going to greener pastures. And right. he's like, right. no, I need to make you lie down. And I just wonder. <laughs> wow. I wonder if sometimes these seasons of transition, because mm-hmm. when you find yourself in a transition, whether it's job loss or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. There's usually a, like a severing of the old, and then there's mm-hmm. like. There's like a little in-between interim season of waiting before you realize the new. Yep. And it's like that interim season is a forced green pasture. That is so fascinating. You know, Davey, we've talked about on the show, Bobby Clinton's book, The Making yeah. of a Leader. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he talks about that very thing. Like if you were to, and I look back on my life I, for a class assignment, we had to do this like timeline yeah. or leadership journey. Every few years, there are seasons of like, force rests. I always called them, I like when I name my timeline, I call them pregnant pauses where Mm. it is obvious the Lord has said like, you will stop now. Sometimes it's a bit like the, it was like disease for me when I got diagnosed with my rheumatoid arthritis. It it was having kids for me at one point, like, but you will rest now. And then once, well, I don't know all the things the Lord's, it's something about intimacy, something about intimacy, something right. about Christ-likeness, something about whatever, then I'm going to release you into the next phase right. of leadership. But you're right. Like, I do think sometimes the Lord is like, you will stop whether or yeah. not you want yeah. to, because well, I have to do some work in you. Here's what I wonder. I, I just wonder when I, when I study, right, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. God's laws to the Israelites, mm-hmm. and you see how much of an emphasis there is on Sabbath. Right. I mean, you just do do a do a study for just a little bit and realize yeah. like how much God emphasized. It's the yeah. longest, as far as like the expl- explanation of the Ten Commandments, the longest mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. It is the reason that they were in Babylonian captivity, right? Because they failed to keep the Sabbaths. Now it's right. more than just failing to keep the Sabbaths. It's because the not keeping the Sabbaths caused them to wander away and stray away yeah. from their first love, and that is wow. worshiping God. And so mm-hmm. they started worshiping idols because they weren't resting. Well, there's something about the human soul and what it does to to build and manufacture idols in our mm-hmm. life when we don't rest properly. Yeah, and so wild. God is emphasizing Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest, Sabbath yeah. rest, Sabbath yeah. rest, and I just wonder if we were actually true to that. And I'm, mm. I, I, listen, I'm not mm. speaking as an expert here, right? Because right, right. I am again, I'm guilty of not Sabbathing well, oftentimes. Yeah. But I wonder if we were to keep those rhythms, if there would be as many of those forced seasons. Interesting, because we were we were obeying God ultimately. Right. I mean, this is what is interesting to me it, it, when you think about Sabbath in light of let's just say the Ten Commandments. Like yeah. we know not to murder. Like right, you know right. what I mean. We know not to take the Lord's name in vain. We know not to bow down to other. Like there are things. But I, I'm telling you, I don't, it, maybe it's just American culture, maybe not, but yeah. we are so quick to be like, oh, but the Sabbath mm. rest, that's sort of the very excusable right, right. disobedience. And I mean, I'm saying yeah. that in my own heart, too. Oh, yeah, too. all like, of us, I, right? Like, I, it is so hard. I like going on vacation with my family, yeah, but yeah. like intentional Sabbath rest to remind us, like, we are no longer slaves. We yeah. are sons. We are daughters. We just don't. We don't take it seriously. And right. so I guess you're right. The Lord's like, well, then I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. And the funny thing is, is like, that's such a kind thing for God to do. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for yeah. making me rest, even though right. I don't realize that that's what mm, you're, you yeah. know, I'm not realizing how thankful I should be in this. But yeah, like, yeah. we just, I mean, he knows our limitations. He yeah. knows our limitations. Yeah. I am such a huge fan of 
and, and I'll, I'll, I, you know, I'll endorse this help. And I want you to understand you're going to have to eat the fish and spit out the bones that like not everything about this podcast do I agree with by any means. So just take that uh, you yeah. know, as your, but I am a huge fan of, in fact, we've started an entire discussion group on Thursday nights for the Bama podcast, B E M A. Mm. Yeah. And he, the first episode of it, he talks about the, the literary structure of Genesis one. Yeah. And he, he, un, he dives into the Hebrew literary structure of it and it's called, called a chiasm. And you'll have to go listen to him talk about the whole the whole of it. But essentially what that chiasm does is in the literary structure, in the passage, it points to a particular word. Yeah. And that particular word is in the dead center of the Hebrew text. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the words that is, is translated as Sabbath rest. Mm, wow. So in, in the whole construct of, of God creating the world, he wanted... Mm. And, the, and so he says this at the end. He says, the first people who would have read this... Mm-hmm. would have been the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Well, God's trying to divorce <laughs> their identity from being slaves yeah. to being sons and daughters. Yeah. He's trying to bring them into a, to rest, right? Oh, by the way, isn't that what Jesus said? Hey, my yoke is easy. My yeah. burden is light. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? So God's all about like, hey, I want you to rest in me, you yeah. know? Yeah. And we're about like, we've got to strive and we've got to do and totally. we've got to earn There's it. There's no we've time gotta, to rest. Can't rest, God. We've got it, right? And and then you and I are like in in king, for kingdom work, right? We're going to totally. kill ourselves to do this. <laughs> and then it's like, God's like, just I just want you to rest. Yeah. I'm inviting yeah. you into rest. Yeah. Like, be mine. Just be. Yep. Do you know that... Uh, Francesca Battistali, I'm sure I'm not saying uh-huh. her name right. That song, I think it's called Defender or Great Defender, where yeah, yeah. she's like, you did all this stuff for me. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was stay still. I feel like that's been on repeat in my heart recently. Like, Man. you just need to be still. Mm. And the Lord is going to take care of all of the things. And it is so hard to get there. But what a beautiful invitation mm. from our God that it's an invitation not to work, not to strive, not to hustle. Instead, to be still and rest. Wow. wow. And, um, man, I better take anyway. this to heed right now because, yeah, I feel like God's about to put me in a forced Sabbath if I don't mm. go and take some rest. <laughs> you don't start doing I'm it. Go, I'm about to leave from here and find a green pasture, guys. There you go. I'm just going to go, go ahead and lay down in it myself. God, I don't need, I don't need you to make me. We're going to, I'm doing I'm just it. Just lay down. So, hey, we talk about Sabbath, by the way, Aubrey, quite a bit in the Pain to Purpose course. It's actually an entire waypoint because we know how important it is, not only for your healing, when you're healing from trauma, tragedy, major life transition, but also for your ongoing wholeness. Mm. This is so pivotal. It's so yeah. important. In so fact, good. it's right in the middle of our course, too, ironically, is wow. Sabbath rest. And we talk about that. So. Uh, we want to invite you. If you haven't taken the Pain to Purpose course, you can go and check that out, nothingiswasted.com. We have so many other resources as well, both free resources, resources you can invest in. Um, we do believe that you need to make an investment into your healing. We believe you'll yep. pay more attention when you do pay. That's and right. And so uh, we, we, you know, unapologetically, we have all of these different things, all the way from free to paid to even premium offers where you can walk with a coach one-on-one. They can walk you through a healing pathway um, that, that they themselves have walked through. And so all of that, you can find nothingiswasted.com. We'd love to invite you to be a part of our free community platform, nothingiswasted.com slash community. And you can check all that stuff out there. We would love to help you partner with God to take back your story.
That's right. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can listen to his music wherever it is you stream your music. We also love engaging with you on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted. You can follow Davey at Davey Blackburn. You can follow me at Obsamp. Next week, we are joined by Micah McElveen, another yeah. powerful, powerful episode. He was in a crazy surfing accident, yeah. right, Davey? Yeah, and talk about a major life transition. Oh, mm-hmm. man. This completely altered the course of his life. I cannot wait for our yeah. listeners to hear his story. So, in fact, let's go ahead and take a listen to part of your conversation with Micah McElveen. One day after practice, we decided to go catch waves. We'd lived out in Southern California, picked up surfing. We'd moved to Florida on the Gulf side. And the Gulf of Mexico, there's not a lot of waves. uh, But when hurricanes kick up surf, you can ride. Mm. So we decided to go down, ride waves. And there was huge beach break. And my brother and I, we were racing to see get to the water first. And I was running as fast as I could. This swell had reformed. And just before it crashed and hit the beach, I threw my body, like running full tilt, the wave coming hard at me, and I threw my body into it, and I hit the water, and as soon as I hit the water, like like something happened. Wow. It was like a rush, like a this shock just, just flew through my body, uh, and instinctively, I knew something was wrong, uh, and I knew to lay still, but the momentum of the dive carried me through the water. And I remember being like groggy, I'm face down, something's off. And the next wave, it rolled me over. I could see the surface, I could see the air. But when I tried to get up, my body wouldn't work. 